0: or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FPC. Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Moms, definitely want to give you a special shout out this morning uh, to say thank you for the investment that you have made into your children over the years and as the video showed, just how, as you live out your godly character, you're teaching your kids about God as you do that. So thank you so very much. Three moms that I would take a quick minute to say Happy Mother's Day to. Uh, Of course, my mom who watches regularly online, so Happy Mother's Day, I will call you later, I promise. Um, To my mother-in-law, Jackie, uh, Happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you for the investment into Amanda. And then, of course, Amanda, I just want to say happy Mother's Day to her. Uh, It's been amazing to watch her parent our two boys. And uh, as we enter into marrying one of them off, it's just really cool to see uh, how that investment that she has made has paid off uh, into them. So let's pray, and then we'll open our our series this morning. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for uh, just mothers, Lord, and, and the way that they nurture, guide, and, and teach us about you. Father, I just wanna pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you would teach and guide us, Lord, and that you would help us to uh, draw even more, closer, more close to you. And then, Lord, maybe there's somebody here that doesn't yet know you, Lord, that they would be drawn to you today and they place their faith and trust in you. I just wanna thank you in your name, amen. Well, I have to say, um, a year ago today, well, a year ago this Sunday, Mother's Day, I had the privilege of kicking off another series, Um, and let me tell you, I wasn't that excited about it. If you remember, that series on Mother's Day was Know Your Foe, and it was an entire series on Satan. And so I got to kick off Mother's Day and wish everybody's a happy Mother's Day and then say, let's talk about Satan. So... This year, uh, now that I've been here a bit longer, have a little bit more say in, in what I get to speak on, and I am super excited uh, to kick off this series with you, which is called uh, Choose Your Own Adventure. Now, I need to know, how many of you growing up had the privilege, the opportunity to read the Choose Your Own Adventure books? Did anybody ever get to read those ones? These were popular mostly in the 80s when they came out. Uh, if you've not read them, you've got to find some because they're, they're just absolutely a blast to read. I would go to the library and I would pick these books out, and they are written in the second person, so you'd read the chapter, and then it comes to the end of the chapter, and it would say something along the lines of... Do you want to go down into the creepy basement and explore it, or do you shut the door and run home to your mother? Um, and then you would choose, depending on which, uh, which destiny or which choice that you wanted to make, which adventure you wanted to choose, you would go to page 83 or page 97. The thing I like about those books is, well, things I didn't like about that book is the fact that my line of thinking and the author's never seem to line up right? I'd be, oh, I'm going to choose that adventure. And then it was really lame. And so then I'd have to go back and try the other adventure, you know? And that's the great part about choosing your own adventure books. You make the wrong choice, you just go back and you make another, another choice and choose another adventure. And so as you think about choices and we think about how they impact our lives, I want you to think about the choices that you have made today. You know, you made the choice, Jarrett made the choice to set his alarm at eight o'clock. Unfortunately, he overslept through that. Right, But you've made the choice to get up. Maybe you wish somebody a happy Mother's Day. Maybe you made that phone call to mom and, and just wished her a happy Mother's Day. You chose what you were going to have for breakfast. You chose maybe to stop on your way here or in the foyer to grab a coffee so that you didn't fall asleep during the message. You, you've made many, many different choices throughout the course of the morning already. You have obviously and very thankfully chosen what to wear today, which we're very appreciative for. Although the crew online, we just never know what happens there, but uh, I'm glad you've made a choice to tune in online and, and to join with us. Perhaps you chose to tell somebody that you love them. Maybe you chose to apologize to them for a disagreement that you had. And if you stop and think about it, we make many, many choices a day. And if you were just to pick a number in your head, I would just challenge you. To think, how many choices do I make in the run of a day? I'll give you a second. How many choices do you think that you make in the run of a day? Well, various internet sources estimate that an adult makes about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. Anybody close to that when they were thinking about how many decisions you made? 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. In contrast, a child makes about 3,000. This number may sound absurd, but we make approximately, two well, 226.7 decisions each day on just food alone, according to researchers at Cornell University. That was a study done by Wansink and Sobol in 2007. As your level of responsibility increases, so does the board of choices that you're faced with. 35,000 choices. Does that not explain why we're tired at the end of the day? some choices that we make, they don't impact us uh, to such a great extent. You know, just, just these basic, basic things that we choose or whatever. But some choices have lifelong impact and implication. As we think about choices in the Bible, we have this story or the account of Joshua as he's preparing to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And we see in Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15, he says this. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here Joshua's laying out before a nation this choice. Are you going to serve the Lord? Or if you're not gonna serve him, what are you choosing to make the priority in your life? Are you gonna choose these foreign gods, these false gods that really have done nothing for you, and that are not gods at all? And so today we have to understand that the first and greatest decision that we can make in life is whether or not we are going to serve the Lord. And then once we've made that choice, specifically today we're gonna to talk about whether we've made, once we've made that choice to serve him, there are a number of different choices that help enhance that choice. We've entered into a relationship with him and now are we going to enjoy what it means to have life with him and enjoy that relationship with him? Or are we gonna take that relationship for granted and just make it sort of a casual thing in our lives? And today, as we think about choosing our own adventure, we're going to look at my all-time favorite Bible character. This guy is just, his story has captivated me as I've read through scripture, and I'm really excited that we're going to be looking at his story over the next four weeks and look at some of the key choices that he made in his life. This young guy became king over Judah when he was eight years old. You can find the account of his uh, reign in 2 Kings 22 and 23, and as well as 2 Chronicles 32 to 35. So I'll look at you a couple passages that sort of bookend the account of this young king's life. And I want you to see where it began and then how it ended. In Second Chronicles 34.1, it says this, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So here's a young boy, becomes king, eight years old. Could you imagine? We have FBC kids going on over there, and if you went into that, I believe that would be like the grade two and three small group. And you think you grab one of those guys and say you're going to run the country. What do you think that would be like? Probably have a lot of candy, a lot of things along those lines. Be good. He was eight years old when he became uh, king, but this is the last thing that Scripture records about him, other than his death, and it's found in Second Kings twenty-three and twenty-five. Before him, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. So here's a little boy. Eight years old, becomes king over Judah. And the account of scripture is this he only lived till he was 39 years old, but when he died, the account is this nobody, not even King David, sought God, turned to God like Josiah did. And so, how does that happen? How does an eight year old boy become such a godly man? And I think if we were really to be honest with ourselves, we would think, okay he must have had some pretty amazing parents and grandparents. They must have poured into him uh, about God. They must have really invested into him when he was young. But if we really look at Josiah, we'll see that that is, is not the case at all. In fact, Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, was probably one of the most wicked kings that Judah ever had. Manasseh was a king who who followed after demonic practices, sought demonic counsel in his reign. He actually built uh, altars to the false gods in the temple of God in Jerusalem. He encouraged people to follow after sinful and wicked ways. One of his most heinous things was that he took his oldest son and offered him as a human sacrifice to the god Moloch as as a form of tribute to that god. He was a wicked and evil man. We have to understand that in, in Manasseh's reign, there, there came a point where God was so fed up with his wickedness that he allowed him to be taken captive. And they said the Bible would count as that as they put hooks in his nose and they actually pulled him away and, and into Assyria. It was during that time that Manasseh was humbled and he turned his heart back to God. And when he returned, he was able to return and, and reign in, in Judah. And we see that he made a strong attempt to right the wrongs that he had done. Second Chronicles 33 says this, And he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountains of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving, and he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So Manasseh was extremely wicked, but he does have a period of revival at the end of his life, and it's perhaps, it looks like those, that period of revival was the first six years of Josiah's life. And maybe Manasseh did have that opportunity to breathe into him, but Manasseh's legacy before that was wicked and brought a lot of wickedness in and raised, really, his family up in wickedness. And that was seen in the reign of Manasseh's son, Ammon. You find that in 2 Kings chapter 21. Ammon was wicked, he followed after his dad pre-revival. This is Josiah's dad, this is who had influence over him. Extremely wicked, restored all of the demonic practices, restored all of the worship of the false gods and just turned his heart away from, away from God, turned the nation away from God as well. Nasa only got to reign for two years. And then his servants, the scripture doesn't even tell us exactly why, but they conspired against him and they had him assassinated. So here's an eight-year-old boy whose father has been killed, whose father was extremely wicked, whose grandfather had been wicked but had a period of revival in his life, and now he's set to reign and to rule. And it's this little boy who at the end of his life comes to the point where the Bible says nobody sought God like he did. So what happened for Josiah? How did he choose his own adventure to go from an eight-year-old boy with a really messed up past to becoming a very godly and righteous king. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. There are four key decisions that Josiah made uh, along the path of his reign and the path of his life. As we look at these choices, I want you to understand that it's a process in life. And I think it's a continual process. I think there's always a, you know, we're choosing this and then this and then this and then this, and we can never think that finally, you know, I've arrived. You know, I've done all these four choices, so I'm set for life. That's not the case. They're, they're sort of continual, perpetual choices that we need to make in our lives. And so let's look at the first one together. Second uh, Chronicles 34, 1 to 3. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of his father, uh, the God of David his father. So we want you to understand, first choice that Josiah made, he was eight years old when he became king. Eight years later, he makes a decision. I am going to seek God. I am going to make God the priority in my life. I'm gonna seek him out. How many of you guys played hide and go seek growing up? Anybody play that game? All right. Come on, how many people played hide-and-go-seek growing up? Yeah, there you go. It's okay, it's Baptist, I know, but we can raise hands. All right? All right? So listen, uh, we play hide-and-go-seek growing up, probably one of the most popular neighborhood games of all times. And do you remember playing that game and just finding that sweet spot? Finding that place that you knew you could go to over and over again and nobody would find you? Do you remember that thrill of of having the seeker come so close to you that if you just reached out, you could grab them and they're coming closer and closer and looking and then they turn away and they walk away? you remember just gloating when you got back to home base saying you were so close? The thrill of hiding is fun. And do you remember being the seeker? Being the seeker can be fun and it can be really annoying. Right? Because you seek and you seek and you seek and you, know, you find a few people, but then there's that one person you know, that's always bragging, ah, you never found me, you were so close, you reached out, you know? Maybe there's many of you here, you know, I haven't played hide and go seek in a while in that way, but you might play a grown-up version of hide and go seek like I do. And that normally involves my wallet and my keys, my cell phone, and the annoying part about that game is I am the hider and the seeker of both in, in that game. I do both things. Amanda tells me life would be a lot easier if I just put things in the same place every time, but I guess I like to play games. So, so we, we have this idea. We understand what it means to seek. We have an understanding of what it means to look for, and we have to understand that the wording used here for Josiah as he began to seek God was that it was an intense and deliberate action on his part, on Josiah's part. The other thing that we need to read or understand as we go through this this morning is that God wasn't hiding from Josiah. See, God's not like that person, hide and go seek, who tries his best to stay hidden. God wants us to seek him, and when we do, he promises that he will be easily and willingly found. So as we think about this today, we need to ask ourselves this question, am I seeking God? And how do I know what the answer is? How do I know if I am seeking him? Well, one of the the easiest ways to do it is just to ask yourself this question. Does God rule in my entertainment choices, my social choices, my relational choices, my financial choices, my sexual choices, my spiritual choices, and that list could go on and on. Does God have priority in every area of my life? And that's the concept, that's the idea of seeking God's presence. It's recognizing that that He is present and that He influences and should influence every single area of our life. And in many senses, we can't get away from the presence of God. You know, the Bible tells us that God is everywhere present, so He is always present. Take a look at Psalm 139, just so we can understand this a little bit better. 139, 7 through 12, and it says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So we have to understand that wherever we go, God is. He is always present. So it's not like we're trying to draw him to ourselves. We're not trying to do the right thing so all of a sudden he appears and is there. He is always there. But the reality is we can choose to live lives that don't recognize or enjoy his presence where God, because of our pushing him away, doesn't manifest his presence to us. He doesn't show us the things that, that, that he could be showing us if we were seeking him. There's a couple passages of scripture that, that relate to this. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter four. Deuteronomy chapter four, and Moses is getting ready, like the, the people have come to their end of the time in the wilderness, getting ready again to, to head towards the promised land. And if you read through Deuteronomy chapter four, it's actually kind of discouraging. Because Moses is saying, hey, you're, you're about to go into this great land. This is the land that God has promised you. But you know what, guys? You're to serve God, but you're not going to. You're to crave his presence, but you're not going to. And then, you know what? Eventually, he is going to punish you and remove you from this land. Man, that's not a great pump-up speech. That isn't real exciting. It reminds me of the first day of Frosh Week in, in university. We were sitting all on the bleachers in the gym and this speaker comes and he's like, hey, welcome to Froschery. Take a look at the person to your right and to your left and they won't finish this program. You know, like I don't know what the percentage was, like you know, basically, basically 33% of you are gonna finish the program. Everybody else is, is gonna drop out. So I made that true for some other people um, in my life. Didn't finish that program. Um, so I just wanted to fulfill his, his word there, you know, so, um, so. so it was this discouraging, this thing that should have been so exciting, but yet there's this discouragement, right? Right at the beginning of Frost Week, like, hey, most of you aren't gonna finish. Moses, going into the promised land. Hey, we've been striving for this, we've been waiting for this, we've been longing for this, but you're gonna mess it up. And you think, wow, where's the encouragement of that? Deuteronomy 4.29 says this, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, God isn't missing, but we need to seek him. We need to recognize his presence there. The same idea is repeated in Jeremiah 29. Again, the people were gonna sin against God, and they were gonna be punished for that, and then Jeremiah 29 says this, you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, is am I seeking God? Am I enjoying the blessing and the, the demonstration of his power in my life? How do we do that? How do we do that? We don't just wanna tell you to, to seek God this morning and then let you try to figure it out. I wanna give you a number of different ways that you can, you can do that in your life. What we need to understand first and foremost is this, if I want to seek God as his child, I need to be his child. I need to belong to him, I need to, if I want to enjoy his presence, I need to be part of his family. The Bible says this, that when we are born, we are all born in sin, we are separated from God, and there's nothing that we can do to overcome that separation on our own. But God loved us enough that he sent his son into this world, and punished his son in our place, so that barrier of sin, that separation could be removed. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying the penalty for my sin and for your sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus rose three days later, you know, showing us that he was the acceptable sacrifice for sin. Showing us that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. And if we are going to seek him today, that is the first step. That is the first step, is to believe that Jesus accomplished for you what you cannot accomplish for yourself believing that Jesus has paid the penalty for sin, and if you, in faith, call out to Jesus, you will be saved. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So today, if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do that right now. Just call out to God, say, hey, I realize I'm separated from you, and I realize that you have provided the way to be in a relationship with God and to, have my, to forgive my sins, and I would like to receive that in my life today. And that's the beginning of a life of seeking. That's the beginning of a life of realizing the presence of God and getting to experience the presence of God in our lives on an everyday basis. But once we've done that, how do we, how do we grow in, in our relationship? How is it that we get to see God more and more and more in our lives, to see him working and manifest in our lives? Five different things we wanna look at this morning. Number one, we wanna to choose to, to make seeking him a priority. Choose to make seeking him a priority. Jared read for us Matthew chapter six. I'll just highlight a couple verses there again. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The word first, when Jesus says seek first, the word first means exactly what you would think it means. It just means the greatest thing, the absolute priority. That seeking God needs to be the thing that we crave the most and that we pursue the most. Matthew 6.33 is a summary of what Jesus has been saying in Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six, and then continues on to chapter seven. They're calling us to to live uh, in a higher standard than we are settled for. They're calling us to live a kingdom life, a life that really as we look to heaven, it's like, hey, what life in heaven's gonna be like? I'm gonna strive to live as best as I can in this sinful world, what I anticipate heaven's going to be like. I wanna mimic and show the character of Jesus. Paul takes this a little further in Philippians chapter three. He said, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And Paul says this, When I compare knowing Christ to everything else in this world, everything else is is just like garbage. Everything else is just like garbage. The first and foremost thing, the most important thing, the only of value to me is knowing Jesus and growing in my relationship with him. So the call to seek is a call to be focused. Not only that, we need to choose to make a deliberate choice about what we think about. I was on the Bible app uh, this week and just doing my devotions through that and they had a thing on toxic thinking. Really great devotional if you haven't done that one yet. Uh, And a number of different things came out in that. But let's look at Colossians chapter three. It says this, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Seeking Christ, seeking God is... Focusing on the things that are proper and pure, setting our minds on the things of God, being setting our minds on holiness. Paul again gives us a nice little summary in Philippians 4 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. I love verses like this in Scripture. My favorite verse in Scripture is John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Really concise summaries of what the big picture of the Bible is saying. Here, Paul does that, uh, that favor to us as well as we think about what should I be setting on my mind on? What should I be thinking on? And he gives us this list, pure, lovely, honorable, things along those lines. It's what we are to filter our thoughts with. As thoughts come into our mind, if bitterness tries to creep into our thinking, we need to recognize that it's not lovely or commendable. So we need to make sure we get rid of that thinking. If lust presents itself to us, we need to recognize that it's not pure, and we need to remove it from the place it is occupied. If we allow ourselves to look down on somebody because of their social status, their race, we need to recognize that it's not just and replace it with compassion for the individual. See, that's the thing about right thinking. Right thinking isn't just choosing not to think about things. Right thinking is choosing to replace sinful thoughts with thoughts that are pure and right and holy. That's the thing that we have to realize In, in the Christian life, it's not just a removal, it's a replacement. So as those sinful thoughts creep into our head, we need to replace them with things that are honorable, pure, lovely, right, and just. And that is how we seek God through what we choose to think about. Number three is we need to choose to be regularly in God's Word. And this is going to come out in a couple weeks in another one of, of the key decisions that Josiah makes. But we really need to understand that, that seeking God is getting to know Him through His Word. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need to be actively in God's word. Daily, we need to be reading it, taking it in, learning more about it, understanding God's word, and again, reading it for for our benefit and for for uh, the privilege of getting to know God better. And I've known a lot of people over the years that hate reading, absolutely hate reading, and that is one of the most intimidating things. Pastors will stand up here and say, you have to be reading God's word, and they're like, I can't or don't like to read. So what do I do to grow? Thankfully, there are so many tools and resources out there today we have, we have access to. If you download the Bible app, you can go to any passage of Scripture and hit play, and it'll read uh, the Scripture to you. And so be daily in God's Word. Be daily taking it in and find ways that, that just fit your learning style. Find ways that, that help you be into the Word of God, learning from Him and getting to know Him better. The fourth one we want to look at today is we need to choose to be active. We need to choose to serve God. If we wanna see his presence, if we really wanna see him demonstrate and manifest himself, we need to be entering into service with him. I think about basketball, I love playing basketball. But could you imagine if I was up here telling you about how awesome it is to play basketball and what an awesome sport basketball is and that I had never actually played it? I'd read a lot of books on it, I read a lot of theories on it, I studied the analytics on it, I could tell you a lot of different things, but if I've never played the game, have I really experienced it? Absolutely not. And so as we seek God, one of the things that we have to realize is, yes, we get to know him, and that's an awesome privilege, but then he wants to turn around and he wants us to apply that and to use it in our lives so that we can see how great he is for ourselves and we get to experience him in our lives. It's an awesome, awesome thing. Think about the disciples. You know, they got to spend so much time with Jesus. Do you think their relationship was a little bit deeper than most other people that day, in those days? I think so. They got to serve the food as Jesus broke five loaves and two fish and distributed it to over 5,000 people. They got to see the look of awe on people's face, the shock as this little tiny meal fed thousands of people, and and then there was like 12 basketfuls left over. Peter, James, and John got to be in the room when, when Jesus raised the little girl back to life, and they got to see her parents just shocked and awe as this girl who was dead is brought back to life. No, if we just if we just read and if we just if we just kind of if we don't get active we won't get to experience God's presence like he wants us to experience him. He wants us to get in and to serve. He wants us to jump in. Luke chapter 10 tells a story of this as Jesus sent out 72 of the disciples. He said, "Go preach the gospel, heal the sick, and they went out and when they came back, uh, it says this in Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus didn't mention anything about casting out demons when he sent them out. Heal the sick, preach the gospel. God never underdelivers; He always over delivers when we serve him. He's always going to show us things about himself that we never expected. Here we see, that was in 1017, but as Jesus, you know, he's hearing these things, he says this to them in uh, 1020. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus said this, I will always over-deliver. I will always do more than you expect, but never forget the thing that we truly need to rejoice in is that we are his children and that we belong to him. Last thing, number five, is that we need to constantly communicate with him. We need to be talking with him. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. And many times, you know, as we think about that, we think, do I really spend all day on my knees with my head bowed, my eyes closed, my hands folded, and talk to God for 24 hours? Is that, is that what this verse is saying? No, what this verse is saying is, you're seeking God, you're seeking his presence. He is always there with you, so include him in the day. Include him in the conversation. He's right there with you. Seek his wisdom. Seek his guidance. Seek his counsel. So many times we think when we say amen, God departs or we depart and then we have to talk to him again. Then we bring him back into, you know, relationship or closeness to us. It's not the case. He is always there. So we may as well talk to him. We may as well find out, God, what is the best thing to do in this circumstance? God, give me the wisdom to answer this question. Lord, give me the patience to deal with this person that's supposed to be customer service and they're not really customer service right now. Help me to reflect your character. Constantly bringing the recognition of his presence to our mind and asking him to help us do what is right and is proper. So today, as we close this first message on choose your own adventure, I would challenge you, seek him. Seek him first, make him the priority in your life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. The full, most abundant life is a life that seeks after him, that makes him the priority, that puts him first. Gonna ask our servers to come forward now and we're going to celebrate communion together. I'm gonna stay up here just so the camera guys don't have to change all the ISOs and stuff like that. So Brett, I'll try to do you a favor this morning because it's been a chaotic one. So I'll just stay up here if that's all right with you guys. And Bob slapped my hand last time because I always keep the top off the the thing and I'm not supposed to do that. So if I'm up here, I'm all good. So 1 Corinthians 11, uh, the service of communion, uh, guys, is, is a declaration of a closeness with God and a relationship with him. Jesus set this this act of remembrance up so that we would take the time to remember what he's accomplished for us and that we would take the time to reflect, am I seeking him? Am I living in closeness with him? And when we take the wafer and we take the juice, it's a public declaration. It doesn't change anything for us, but it's a public declaration of this that I am a child of God and that I'm living in fellowship with him. I'm living in closeness with him. And that's communion. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Communion is a serious thing. It's a time of celebration, it's a time of rejoicing, but it's also a time of reflection. It's a time where, where we say, yeah, I'm a child of God, yeah, I'm walking in fellowship with him. And today, as the servers pass out the, the wafer and the juice, you have that, that privilege of taking communion and saying, yep, I'm in fellowship with God. But God also says, you know what? If there's something in your life that is not right, confess that, make it right. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there's a broken relationship between you and another person, You know what, let that cut pass today. And make sure that you've done all that you can to repair that relationship before you say, yeah, I'm in good relationship with God, because if we're holding bitterness in our heart against someone, we're not in a good relationship with him. It's public testimony, it's saying, yeah, I believe in what Jesus has accomplished. I believe that he accomplished that for me and I have personalized that in my life. But it's also a statement saying, yeah, I'm in good fellowship with God. And it's a public testimony to say, yeah, I'm walking close with him. So just ask the servers to pass the elements out this morning. Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of him. Father God, I just want to thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you want us to seek you, and and Lord, that you're not gonna hide from us, that you're gonna show yourself to us as we seek you. Pray that we would make a priority of that in our lives this day and, and moving forward, Lord, so that we can leave a legacy of being someone who loved you and obeyed you, dear God. Just thank you for communion. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to reflect on our relationship with you, to remind, be reminded of how special it is and be reminded of how important it is that we um, keep close to you through confession of sin and, and uh, right relationships with others. Just want to thank you in your name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. And moms, we have one last present for you. We have donut Sunday and really sugary juice to wind your kids up and send them home with you. So there are donuts and cronuts out there today. Help yourselves and see you next week.